Let's go to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, and I actually wanted to begin with a couple of maps because I know that many of you are familiar with the general geography of the Bible, but there might be some here who aren't. And some of the basics, I think, are good for us to know going into it. That way we can get a better understanding of what we're studying. And so the first map I wanted to show you is over here on my left. Um, it's the, the way that Israel was divided into the northern and southern kingdom. Now, uh, under the leadership of Saul, under the leadership of David, and under the leadership of Solomon, so that's 120 years, they were united, right? But then uh, Solomon's son came into power, uh, Rehoboam had a chip on his shoulder, and uh, enter in this guy Jeroboam. And it was partially because Solomon was, uh, it was backslidden. You know, Solomon, this guy that had been given so much wisdom by God, his heart turned away from God because he fell in love with uh, women that did not serve the Lord. And so even he went the wrong way. And so it was all a, a combination of things. So what ended up happening was the, the nation was divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So the northern kingdom, just in case you didn't know, they refer to it as Israel. Sometimes they call it Ephraim, uh, sometimes even Manasseh. Those are the northern tribes. But it's important for us to know that because that's going to be what we're talking about tonight. So the northern kingdom of Israel, and then you've got the southern kingdom of Judah. And you'll notice in looking at this that Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom. And so when you start studying kings and chronicles and things like that, you guys will see that the northern kingdom, they built altars in Dan and Samaria, and they never worshiped God. They were never good. They were, there was no, not one good king in the northern kingdom. And so God gave them time to give, get right, gave them time to get right, and they never got right. And so God came and God judged them in 722 B.C. Now, the southern kingdom, Judah, they had some good kings. They had some guys that were good, some guys that were bad. Uh, they had the temple there, and uh, so they uh, did a little better. But eventually, God would have to judge them as well in 586 B.C., the northern kingdom was judged by Assyria. God used these crazy, wicked people. And then the southern kingdom was judged by the Babylonians. And so just kind of want to give you a, a, a little visual on that part of it. Because sometimes when you refer to Israel, you know, we think, well, it's the whole thing. And it just depends on when you're talking about it and the context of it. And in this context, we see it's in uh, after the, the nation is already divided, okay? There's a lot more. Um, hopefully, you guys, as you continue to study the Bible, you're going to get uh, things out of it that are basics to understand some of the scriptures. Now, the second map over here is a, a picture of the Assyrian Empire, modern-day Iraq, Iran, and that area over there. And you'll notice how huge it is. Um, but I wanted to show you this map. I don't know if you guys can see it too well. But, um, you know, they, this is how they would go. There's um, Judah, you'll notice right there in the map. And you'll see Syria. The capital of Syria is Damascus, still is today. It's interesting. And then you have Judah, and the capital is Jerusalem. So we're going to be talking about these nations today. Um, and I wanted to kind of give you a visual of what it is. 
that way, as we're going through the scriptures, it might help you to better understand uh, those things. And so some of you guys probably knew all that. If you didn't, um, hopefully it's kind of easy to see and hopefully it helps us in our study. Because look what we read in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 8. It says, Moreover, the Lord said to me, he's talking to Isaiah, Take a large scroll and write on it with a man's pen concerning Meher Shalal Hashbaz. And I will take for myself faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jerobekiah. And then I went to the prophetess, and that's actually his wife. That's Isaiah's wife. I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. And then the Lord said to me, <laughs> call his name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, my father or my mother, you know, before the, the child's able to say, Papa or Mama, what the Lord says right here, here's what's going to happen. The riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. And so it's a real uh, simple prophecy, um, but what we're going to see is really beautiful about Isaiah is he's got all these prophecies, and they all came to pass. And so he talks about things that have already come to pass, and on them, you know, it hadn't yet. He says to Isaiah, you know, you got this funky name. Imagine naming your son that name, or maybe if you had that name, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. But I want you to take this scroll. I want you to write on it. And you got some witnesses that say, hey, yeah, we saw him write on that, that leather you know, or a scroll and, and, and he wrote on the name and then he goes and he has a kid and God says, okay, I want you to name him that name. And, and then um, here's the thing, because what the name means is that God, God said that before this child is able to say mama or papa, that the Assyrians will come and they're going to steal away, they're going to plunder, they're going to take away the treasure, the booty, from these two nations. It would be like me saying, okay, I want to name my, my child, you know, this name right here, um, Mahar Shalal Hashbaz, because in two years, whatever, you know, something weird, China's going to come, and China's going to conquer this land. And, and in the name, he's two years old, and next thing you know, two years, it happens. That's what Isaiah did right here. You know, God would judge his people, because God is a holy God, right? And so you look at that, and that's what happens, but then you read why it happens in verse 5. It says, the Lord also spoke to me again, saying, inasmuch as these people refused the waters of Shiloh that flow softly and rejoice in resin and Remaliah's son. Now, you might remember as we've gone through the book of Isaiah that the Lord told Isaiah to tell King Ahaz, you don't need the Assyrians. You don't need to make a covenant with the Assyrians to help you, you know, because Israel and Syria were, you know, coming against Judah. You don't need them. All you need is God. But, but what we find is that, you know, they, they didn't listen to the Lord. And it's interesting when you look even at Israel in verse 6, that they refuse the waters of Shiloh. Now, that's an interesting uh, verse because if you go over to John uh, chapter 9, 
You guys remember the story of when Jesus healed the blind man? You guys remember that story? And uh, this guy, he hadn't, he hadn't seen his whole life. He was blind. And so, you know, the disciples ask him, Hey, Lord, how come this guy was, is blind? You know, who sinned? Was it him when he was in the womb or was it his parents, man? Why was this guy born blind? And the Lord said, Neither. This is going to be for the glory of God. And so God goes and he, he ministers to this blind man. And as he's talking to him, look what he says in verse 7. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so he went and washed and came back seeing. Now this, uh, this pool of Siloam is the same root word that we see back in Isaiah chapter 8, where it says, inasmuch as these people refuse the waters of Shiloh. Hebrew, Greek, it's all the same. And what we find is kind of interesting is basically they rejected, they refused the salvation of God. You know, here's, you're, you're blind, right? And the Pharisees were blind. These religious leaders were blind. They could not see. They could not see. And so, you know, the Lord tells this blind man, well, this is what you need to do. You need to go wash in Shiloh. You need to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Now, you have a choice now whether or not you want to do that. I'm sure that wasn't all that easy to do for a blind man, but he went and he did and he washed and he was able to see and, and he was saved. You know, you might be here today and maybe, you know, you have relatives that are saved or maybe you've gone to church a long time and you just really... You're not saved yet. Because in all reality, what ends up happening is people reject the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, you need to go to the pool of Siloam. You need to wash. You need to believe. You need to put uh, you know, action to your faith. You need to make sure it's real. But, but they didn't. That's what he says back in the book of Isaiah. And as much as these people refuse the waters of Shiloh that flow softly and rejoice, he says in verse 6, in Rezin, that's the king of Syria, and in Remaliah's son, that's Pekah, he would be the king of Israel. So they were basically choosing human help over divine help. They were rejecting the assistance of God. And that's why they were judged. And it wouldn't be a pretty thing, just in case you're thinking, well, that's, you know, wow, I'm sure it was kind of tough for them. No, they, they were just, when you read the scriptures of what the Assyrians did, when you read in history of what the Assyrians did, it was an ugly thing. And, and, you know, for me, as I'm going through this, and I've seen a lot of different things happen over the years in churches and pastors, and I always trip out like, man, how come, you know, that pastor's drinking now? Or how come that pastor is unfaithful to his wife or why isn't he teaching the bible anymore why is he doing all this other stuff and it just reminds me listen you know god is a holy god we have to abide in him we have to stay on track we have to listen to what jesus would tell us and we're going to see later you know there's a lot of just being in tune with the holy spirit this is what happened. It was prophesied with this little boy's name. This is why it happened. They refused the soft, gentle, beautiful, amazing, loving, awesome plan that God has for your life. 
And instead, they chose the crazy waters. Look what it says in verse 7. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord brings over them the waters of the river. Now, in my Bible, the river is capitalized with an R. I mean, that's in reference to the Euphrates River, this crazy, strong river, and, and mighty, the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And he will go up over all the channels and go over all his banks. Now, that's Israel, but he will pass through Judah as well. And he will overflow and pass over, and he will reach up to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. Now, now as Isaiah uh, prophesies, he primarily prophesies to Judah, but he also prophesies to Israel. When you do the math, you'll find you know he's there during that time as well. Uh, and so as he's prophesying, this is what's happening to, to Israel. They're going to be judged. But then when you look at Assyria, you'll see that they also then, and this is a crazy thing, um, Judah trusted in Assyria. They made a covenant with Assyria. So Assyria came and they beat up Syria and they beat up Israel, but they didn't stop there. They started coming down into Judah. And you guys, you might remember that. We're going to see it in Isaiah chapter 37. It's also in 2 Kings and Chronicles. And it says right here, notice it says in verse 8, and he will reach up to the neck. So because of their sin, because of their disobedience, God allowed Assyria to come, and they're just conquering the cities of Judah, and they're, they're thrashing people, and people are dying. Husbands are dying. Wives are dying. Kids are dying. It's up to the neck now. And they, and they go to Jerusalem. You guys might remember the story. And, and then the Lord protected them. God showed them grace. Judah was being disciplined as well, but... Um, we see right here that God showed them grace. And you guys might remember the story with Hezekiah and Isaiah. And Hezekiah went to the temple. He spread out the matter before the Lord. And one angel came and killed 185,000 Assyrians. And so that's why, why he says right there that, that and stretching out his wings will fill the breath of your land, O Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. So I will say this to you guys. Um, you know, uh, most of the time people who come on midweek service are saved, but you just never know. There might be someone here who's not really saved. It starts there. It starts there. Let me ask you a question. Do you really know the Lord? Because you can go to church and not know the Lord. And then when that person dies, they go to hell and not heaven. You've got to make sure you know the Lord. Because once you know the Lord, once you go and you wash in the pool of Siloam, once you, you, know, you believe in Jesus, what he did for you, how he died for you on the cross and rose again, and you give your heart to him as the Lord and Savior of your life, once that happens, it's not anything you can do. It's not anything I can do. I remember when I got saved. I mean, God came into my life. No man can do that, but you have to open up your heart. And once he comes into your life, then it's Emmanuel. It's God with me. God in me. God for me. 
God on me. It changes everything when you really give your life to the Lord. You know, and so here's God showing them grace, explaining the reason why. It's because he's with them. We saw that earlier, that prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14. You know, and, and so he, he'll say it again. Look what he says now. As these nations are coming against Judah, he says, Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand. Why? For God is with us. And that's why it's so important that, you know, you have that relationship with the Lord, you guys. Um, because once he comes into your life, Hebrews 13, 5 says, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, we live in a world that wants more and they're covetous and this and that. If my life would be so good if only I had that. Well, you got Jesus. You got him. He's enough. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You know, when I think of the church and I think of all the different roles and responsibilities that we have and how God puts different people in the body, and I just wonder, Lord, is everyone functioning to the fullest degree of faithfulness in the church? And if we, if we do, imagine what God can do. But, but here's the thing that's so important for us to understand that, that as we're there, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always. The same thing, Emmanuel, even to the end of the age. Whatever it is that God has for you to do in the church, your part in somehow making disciples, it can be done because the one who has all authority is with us. And there's Paul in Corinth, and he's having a hard time. And, you know, the Lord appears to him, and he says, you don't need to be afraid because I'm with you. That's why. And we see how important this is. Even if the whole wide world came against us, and, and you know, the devil comes against you guys. I know that happens. I know that for a fact. I know some of you guys are getting attacked, full-on attacked. But, but the Lord wants to remind you tonight, I'm with you. You know, we're, we see that they take counsel together. They have their talks and strategy sessions and how they can make you fall. And all we have to do is rest in this truth. And so, um, look what we read in, in verse 11. He says, For the Lord spoke thus to me, with a strong hand and instructed me that I should not walk in the way of this people, saying, do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, Isaiah, nor, nor be troubled, Isaiah. The, the Lord of hosts, that's the Lord of, of God's army, him you shall hallow. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. See, the mentality of Judah at that point was, you know, we need the Assyrians. Syria's coming against us. Israel's coming against us. Logically, we need the Assyrians. 
And, and Isaiah was saying, no, you don't. All you need is God. It's all you need. And, you know, sometimes you don't realize God is all you need until he's all you have. But, but you know, there, Isaiah is, you know, he's not going with the political flow. Isaiah is not, you know, he's not like for the nation. He, he's telling us that we don't need Assyrian help. And, you know, and they were actually thinking that Isaiah was doing this conspiracy against the nation. And that's why it's so important for us to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. Because in Isaiah's day, he said the Assyrians are bad, stay away from them. All you need is God. But in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah said, submit to the Babylonians. How did Isaiah know? How did Jeremiah know? You got to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. You know, I I have a feeling that there will always be something that the flesh or the world or the devil is going to put in front of you and say, you know, you can't really succeed in life or you can't really do good in life unless, you, you know, this happens or unless you get one of these or one of those or him or her or whatever it might be. And, and the Lord is saying, I'm testing you. I'm testing you. Do you really believe that I'm enough? Do you really believe that I'm your provider? You know, even as a, as a pastor in a church and you see a lot of churches and they're doing a lot of different things to raise money and, and stuff like that and ask for donations and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, if, I don't know about, you know, how you guys feel about stuff like that, but I know, like, the Lord just reminds me, you don't need to be doing that kind of stuff. Um, I'll provide for you. And if the day ever comes where God doesn't provide for us, we have always had that maxim where God guides, God provides. That means he's going to do something different. And that's okay. But don't start stepping out in the flesh. You know, Assyria or whatever it might be. They're, they're accusing Isaiah of being a conspirator. And the Lord said, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord is the one that you're supposed to be afraid of. Notice what he says in verse 14. He will be, speaking of God, as a sanctuary for you, Isaiah. A sanctuary. But a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel and as a trap and snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many among them shall stumble. They shall fall and be broken, be snared and taken. And, and what the Lord is saying here is, it's interesting to me, what do you guys think of? Okay, those of you guys who have been studying the Bible for a while, who's the stone? Who's the rock? Jesus. Jesus. And this is really, we see this uh, in this whole principle applied in the New Testament numerous times. But what we find is, is the Lord saying, Isaiah, you don't have to be afraid you know, Jesus, Jesus will protect you. Jesus will be your sanctuary. And Jesus will be this rock that they stumble over. You know, and the reason is, is because they were very religious and they didn't accept it by faith and it made them stumble. But, but it's interesting how the Lord says, and, and then one day that rock will grind them to powder. 
And so, you know, the Lord talked about this in Matthew 21, 42, and 44. Jesus said to them, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. That's us falling on the stone. Me falling on the stone, what does that mean? I cast myself on Christ, and I'm broken of my own will. You know, my flesh wants to go do this and that and, you know, different things. No, I, if I fall on this stone, I'm broken of my own will. But on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And so the Lord is saying, don't worry, too. don't worry, Isaiah. They're going to say this about you and all that kind of stuff. And there's going to be drama, whatever people say about you. Who cares what people say about you? I'm your sanctuary. And, and um, they're going to experience the justice and, and holiness and judgment of God. And so it, it was all based on, on the Bible. It was all based on this personal relationship that Isaiah had with God. He heard the voice of God, right? Look what he says in verse 16. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among the disciples, and I will wait on the Lord. Later in Isaiah 40, there's a great chapter on waiting on the Lord with eager expectation, great anticipation, you're trusting God, who hides his face from the house of Jacob. But I, Isaiah says, will hope in him. Here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Mount Zion. You know, and his son, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, he was a sign. Every time they would see that boy, and I mean, even when he got older, he'd be like, yeah, I remember. It was written on that, you know, scroll, and the witnesses saw it, and it was even before he was born. And then, you know, they said, you know, a couple years at the most after he's born that, you know, the Assyrians would come in, and they would conquer Samaria and Damascus, and, and it happened, just like, you know, he said he was a sign. It was for signs and wonders. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 3. Isaiah's other son had a significant name as well, how one day the remnant would return. And so his family, they were for signs and wonders. Let me ask you a question, okay? Does God still do wonders? Does God still do miracles? Okay, what are your miracles? What are things that you can point to in your life and you can say beyond a shadow of a doubt, this was a miracle of God and you can hold it up as a testimony for everyone to see. We should all have those things in our life where there is no explanation. It was the hand of God. See, and, and that's what his family was. They were for signs and wonders. I believe that all of us here, not that God is bound by it, but I believe that all of us here should be building altars and we know that was a miracle and we want to let people know or at least we want to let ourselves know, right? And so that's, that was him. That should be us as well because we're going to see later how it's all going to tie in together. They're getting their counsel. We're getting our wonders. I wonder how that happened. It had to be God. Isaiah here is sharing some things that are so cool 
you know, the, the people, they started looking in so many different directions rather than just looking to God, rather than just looking to the word of God. And this is why I say it all the time. And I know some people probably think like I'm a broken record, if you know what a record is. You know, we keep saying all the time about how important the Bible is, how important pastors teach the Bible, and they don't go and talk about all the other things for most of the study. No, just open up the Bible and teach me the Bible. And, I, and I'm telling you guys, don't put up with pastors who don't teach you the Bible. Because look at how important it is. Look what it says in verse 19. And when they say to you, seek those who are mediums and, and wizards and who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they, they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Um, I mean, these guys, you know, personal opinion, popular opinion. These were the politics of the day. And we need the Assyrian alliance. And, you know, even looking at fortune tellers and, you know, looking to the dead for the issues of the living. And, and Isaiah said, man, shine all that stuff. It's about the Bible. And if they're not pointing you to the Bible, then there is no light in them. And that's why it's so important for us. And you guys, Calvary Chapel has always been known, you know, teaching through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. Every once in a while, we'll have a topical study. And yes, we need to touch on little things here and there. But for the most part, the heart has to be, you teach me the Bible. And if, you know, I don't, then you guys, you hold me to it. Look what it says in verse 21. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry and that they will be enraged and curse their king and, and their God and look upward. And then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom of anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. Isn't it crazy, you guys, how sometimes... People, you know, they go and they do their own thing and then God, you know, lets them have their own way and disciplines them in that sense. And there they are and they're in bondage, but they blame it on God. Can you imagine the Jews who were taken away by the Assyrians? They would put hooks in their mouths. They would cut off a limb. They would take out an eye for the ones that did survive and they would lead them away. You guys saw how far that was. They led them away captive. And then they're there, and there's no food. They're there, they're, they're hungry, they're dying, they're in pain. And they still don't get right with God. What do they do? They blame it on God. They look at the things that are going on in the world. Look, it says, they, they look to the earth, and, and they see the trouble and darkness and gloom and anguish. And there, they're going to experience that darkness. So, so for me, the Lord has been challenging me, and I don't know about you guys, man, but I want to grow. I want to be more like Jesus. I want, you know, how God wants to use my life, that's completely up to him. Maybe I'll be able to reach a Billy Graham. And if it's one person that you're, you're here tonight, you're Billy Graham, praise God. We don't do it by numbers. We don't. It's called faithfulness. One day we're going to stand before God. He's not going to say, well, how big was your church? Well, it kind of depends on how big your, your, the church was and 
Man, no, the measure of the ministry is not buildings, bodies, or budgets. It's sacrifice. And so, man, you know, this is, as I'm looking, I'm like, okay, Lord, I want to come to a place where I hate sin. I want to come to a place where I'm like you because I definitely don't want to drift the wrong way because I fear you. I fear you. And Israel, unfortunately, they did not fear God. They did not learn the lessons And so God had to deal with them. Now, the cool thing about Israel, though, is that God's not done with them. And we're going to see that as we go through the book of Isaiah. He's like telling them, hey, I'm going to smash you. I'm going to judge you, but I love you. And I'm going to be okay with you. Isn't it really cool? Some of you guys who are parents, did you guys ever do that with your kids? You know, you give them a trancaso and then you feel so bad about that. Do you guys ever do that? I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like God is like this. Like he's, he's telling us the darkness and the anguish and the hunger and the pain. But then he doesn't let us dwell in that for too long. Because look at chapter 9. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed as at first, as at, when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterward, more heavily oppressed her by by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And you guys know who this is, right? This is Jesus. So you fast forward from 700 B.C. to the time of Christ and this land of Zebulun that was distressed and then even oppressed by God, they were there in darkness. We just got done reading about that darkness. Upon them, this light has come and the light is Jesus. We have a map right here, I think, of that section and you guys can see down in the, in the northern portion uh, of Judah, there's Jerusalem. And that would be where all the religious people were. You know, that'd be where the temple was. And, 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 you know, you would figure that when Jesus came, he'd be hanging out at the temple, but he wasn't there. He set up camp up towards the Sea of Galilee in the area of Capernaum. He would go to Jerusalem when it was mandatory. He would go to Jerusalem three times a year when they had those feasts. But other than that, that wasn't his home base. He went to Naphtali. He went to Zebulun. He was there in the area of the Galilees. A lot of Gentiles were there, some Jews as well. But imagine, you know, if, if Jesus you know, said, you know, I'm going to hang out in Omani or something, you know, people would be like, what, Omani? You know, it's kind of a weird thing. They, you know, did anything good come out of Galilee? Anything good come out of Nazareth? You know, but, but this is where the light has shined. You is quoted, if you want to write down Matthew 13 through 15, Matthew chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, it talks about how Jesus was there in that area and he brought this, this light and so, one of the things you'll see about Isaiah, he talks about the first coming, and then, boom, he talks about the second coming. Look at verse 3. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as when men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, 
as in the day of Midian. You know, and, and this is probably in reference to the millennial kingdom when Jesus would come and he'd just break every other burden and he would rule. We're going to see more of it as we go through this uh, study. But, but it could just be just when Jesus was there the first time. And he said, hey, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. From gentle and lowly in heart, you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You know, the, the world will put a lot of rules and regulations. The, the, the church sometimes will put a lot of rules and regulations. But I've learned that's not of the Lord. You know, every once in a while, you take a nap. It's okay. You know, you can go and, and you don't have to be legalistic. You can have this relationship with God that is so beautiful. You know, we know that that's what Jesus has done for us. He has, uh, like it says right here, he, he has broken the yoke of our burden, it says in verse 4. He's broken that yoke. How many of you here know that you're not perfect? I'm just curious. You're, we're, not, we're not perfect. We, we still sin. But how many of you here know you're forgiven? You know you're forgiven. Your, wa- your sins are washed away. When he looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so we see here is what beautiful things the Lord has done. And, and it's interesting how he says it's in the day of Midian. Now there's a few significant times in the Old Testament where Midian comes up. One was, believe it or not, when Moses went back to Egypt and, 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 you know, the Lord used him to redeem the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of this most powerful place that the enemy had him in, this, uh, this oven uh, of bondage. Moses was in Midian. But Moses went back and set him free. That's one time we read uh, about Midian. Another time is when you read their journeys and how, you know, you got Balak and you got Balaam and you've got the Midianite women. They come and they... You know, they start messing with the men. Next, you know, judgment comes. But the Lord redeemed them through Phinehas, who was zealous for God. You know, victories, Midian, whether it be that time or even the time in the book of Judges when Gideon was there and the Midianites, man, they had them in crazy bondage. I mean, here's Gideon in a little cave trying to do the threshing and getting his food because he's afraid because the Midianites coming and stealing all their food. But God raised up Gideon and God gave them this great, amazing victory. And it's an interesting story when you read the book of Judges and Gideon 6, 7, and 8. And then you see that the way they got the victory was they put the light inside this jar of clay. And then they broke the jar of clay so that the light could shine. That's how they were able to get the victory. And so, you know, right here, just there's so much to it. God will do this for you, for your family. You're going to start seeing people getting saved. You're going to start seeing things happening because, you know, there comes that moment of your life where you're all in. You're all in. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that God is with me. I believe that God is in me. I believe that God is for me. I believe that God is on me. 
Because we can be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, you read how this great victory is such a great victory. It says in verse 5, For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. You know, because God, he's going to, we're going to talk about the tribulation period and then the millennial kingdom. It says right here in verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us, us, a son is given, and the government will be upon whose shoulder? His shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. In other words, his rule will never end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. And just in case you're wondering, is God going to really do this? Is he really going to do this? It says right here, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And it's such a beautiful passage. And I wanted to just... You know, touch real quick on this. Um, Unto us a child is born, that's Jesus' humanity. And unto us a son is given, that's Jesus' deity, right? The Father gave his son, born of Mary. And and the government, you know, I was just, I was bummed that, and I kind of had a hunch, the state is so blue that, you know, Governor Newsom's going to, you know, still be in power. God allowed him to be in power. Of course, we'd rather have somebody who fears God. And we did our part. We prayed. We voted. Right? But, you know, one day, the, not, not, we're talking about a governor. We're talking about the government. The whole government will be on his shoulder. Jesus will reign. So we don't have to freak out. We'll, we'll do what we can. But, man, I pray that you're not freaking out. Because Jesus is, is coming, and he's going to rule and reign. Before he does that, he's going to judge sin. We will be raptured. We have nothing to fear. You know, it's so beautiful. The, the, this government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Wonderful. Not Wonderful Counselor, Wonderful. Remember I just got done telling you about Wonders? Wonders? My family and my children wear wonders, wear signs, wear wonders. When God does miracles in your life, through your life, those are wonders because he is wonderful. That's what he does. When you're a Christian, it's not just natural. It's supernatural. There should be answers to prayers. There should be miracles. There should be wonders he's wonderful he's he's counselor that's his name he's counselor they're interesting earlier in chapter 8 verse 10 we talked about these people that take counsel together but but you know for us jesus is my counselor they might all gather together and plan against me but i go to jesus and i hear his voice and he tells me what i need to hear He's the best counselor. You know, we, we got this wonderful, we got this counselor. He, he's mighty God. And when you look at the scriptures here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 10, verse 21, the Lord Jehovah God is called the mighty God. So he's God. This is the one 
that is going to come. He is the everlasting Father. And literally in the Hebrew, it's just talking about the Father of eternity. Uh, I believe it's not the Father, because there's a distinction in the persons of the Godhead, but I believe it shows you his heart. And then the last thing right there, he's not just the Prince, he's not just peace. He's the prince of peace. And so he brings peace to the world and he brings peace to you and to me. And so beautiful thing about the book of Isaiah is that it talks a lot about Jesus. And I'm going to I'm going to try to finish on time, but I have to read you this quote by Adrian Rogers, how he talks about how um, the book of Isaiah, uh, the Old Testament, the New Testament, really it's all about Jesus because we're reading a lot about Jesus here. And we really are as we go through Isaiah especially. But look at what he said. Isaiah, Adrian Rogers said, now the thing I love about the Old Testament is the thing I love about the New Testament. I wish I could say it like him with a Southern accent, but I can't. The Old Testament and the New Testament are both the inspired word of God. And don't get the idea that the Old Testament has a different message than the New Testament. All of the Bible is about Jesus. If you read the Bible and you don't find Jesus, you better go reread it, whether you're reading in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Somebody may ask you if you've read the four Gospels. I've read all 66 Gospels. All 66 books of the Bible tell about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation has the same villain. His name is Satan. It has the same hero. His name is Jesus. And it has the same purpose to present salvation, which is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that because it's true. You can open up the Bible anywhere and preach Jesus and him crucified. And so we're seeing it here explicitly, but I'm telling you, man, it is packed with him. And so for us, our prayer is that we would, you know, come to Christ for the first time and then, you know, just always come and return and submit to his lordship. Because as we read the rest of this chapter, and I'm just going to go through it, you're going to see how Israel uh, tragically was judged because they somewhere along the line forgot that God is a holy God. Look what it says in verse 8. The Lord sent a word against Jacob, and it has fallen on Israel. All the people who will know Ephraim and the inhabitant of Samaria, who say in pride and arrogance of heart, well, the bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with hewn stones. And the sycamores are cut down, but we will replace them with cedars. Therefore, the Lord shall set up the adversaries of, of resin against him and spur his enemies on, the Assyrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with an open mouth like Pac-Man. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. You know, they were saying, hey, yeah, you know, I got discipline. You know, the bricks fell down or whatever, these little trees right here, but I'll, I'll make it stronger. I ain't no thing. I'm, I'm good. I'm going to come back. But they didn't repent. And so it says right there, for all this, his anger wasn't turned away. Because once we repent, once we get our life right, then the anger is turned away, but they didn't, right? And so we read in verse 
12, um, verse 13, for the people do not turn to him who strikes them, nor do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore, the Lord will cut off head and tail from Israel, palm branch and bulrush in, in one day. That would be a sign, the elder and honorable. He is the head, the prophet who teaches lies. He is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and those who are led by them are destroyed. Therefore, the Lord will have no joy in their young men, nor have mercy on their fatherless and, and widows. For everyone is a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaks folly. You know, God would judge Israel, but they wouldn't repent. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And verse 18, for wickedness burns as the fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns and kindle in the thickets of the forest. They shall mount up like rising smoke through the wrath of the Lord of hosts. The land is burned up and the people shall be as fuel for the fire. No man shall spare his brother. And this is really uh, awful to think, but it says in verse 20, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry he should devour on the left hand and not be satisfied. Every man shall eat the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh shall devour Ephraim and Ephraim Manasseh. Together they shall be against Judah. See, God would deal with them just like you know God is going to deal with us as a nation. I, I'm not a prophet. I just know the Bible. And I don't know when. I don't know how. But God is going to rapture the church out and God will judge this nation. That's what's going to happen nationally. Here's the question. What will happen personally? Are you right with God? He loves you. He died for you. I mean, he is God with us and in us and for us and on us. You know, we have to make that decision that every knee would bow and every tongue confess from the heart. Jesus is Lord. It says right here in verse 17, therefore the Lord will have no joy in their young men. I'm sorry, verse 21, Manasseh shall devour Ephraim and Ephraim Manasseh. Together they shall be against Judah. But for all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. 